exterior and interior. So on the exterior, my life, you know, has kind of looked great. I mean, you say, what do I need to change anything about? Uh, married, two kids, a dog, the American dream, right? And, you know, but up to five years ago, I uh, had a friend, probably seemed uh, meaningless to him, but he said, hey, look, why don't you come uh, with me to this thing, Iron Leadership? And probably didn't mean very much to him. Uh, he's a really good friend of mine. Um, and I kind of put it off for a while. And, you know, I was like, hold on, that, that kind of sounds a little important there. Sounds more, I'm not really a leader. And so anyway, I finally gave in. And you want to talk about just something that set into motion major changes in my life. Uh, vision that I had no idea that I had five years ago. Um, and so that would be one thing I'd want to mention to you. There, there's no meaningless things that you can do for somebody else. I mean, that one gesture that friend did for me changed my life. Um, so fast forward a little bit. Again, I've been at Hoggard 15 years, and so I've seen some major changes in those 15 years. Uh, you know, teenagers are crazy. That'll never change. Um, but a big time just culture change, I would say, within the last five to ten years. And so as I've been coming to Iron Leadership, I said, wow, okay, I can like finally see what's missing here at Hoggard, and it's Christian leadership. And one of the big changes that hit me was, you know, my first two years at Hoggard that I was teaching during my planning period, there's a guy, Gary Harris, that taught the Bible in my class during my planning period. And it, that certainly does not happen anymore. You want to talk about how times have changed. And so, you know, I just got to thinking, wow, I really enjoy this iron leadership thing here. How would this look at Hoggard? And so that just took a lot of planning, took a lot of praying. It was not uh, kind of a spur of the moment, hey, I want to do this, and then didn't know what I was uh, getting into. I thought about it for a long time. And uh, so eventually have done it. I've done it now for, for three years. And so it's, it's had some trouble getting off its feet. We, we've uh, got a thing called Smart Lunch, that uh, works to be a perfect time for kids to meet. And uh, so I've been doing that once a week, and, and a lot of guys are coming. And it's got about 10 guys on average. And so what's amazing to me is these 10 high schoolers that have an hour for lunch, they could do anything for those, that hour, and, but they choose to come and listen to a message from the Bible about Christian leadership. Um, and so that was a vision I had and again, that didn't, that got spurred by something, like I said, five years ago, just a friend with a small gesture saying, hey, come to Iron Leadership. And I don't want to miss the other important things that kind of happened along the way there. Um, you know, so that part was the vision for me at Hoggard, and I'm still working on that, you know, how I could do that, how I could improve it at Hoggard. But that vision for Hoggard really sparked the vision of how badly I needed Christian leadership in my own personal life. And that would probably be the most important thing I'd want to share with everybody. That friend asking me to come here set into motion. Uh, Paul asking my wife and I to read the book of Mark with him. That set into motion joining this church. That set into motion getting more involved with Young Life. That set into motion... Uh, being a part of a journeyman group here. I mean, that one small gesture <laughs> completely changed my life. It changed my life. It changed my wife's life. 
It changed my kid's life. It changed my parents' life. It, it changed everybody's life around me. That one small gesture. So please understand that. that this vision of what I have now, I mean, that's not what I had five years ago. That got sparked by something else. And I've been working on it. I'm still working on it. And this story keeps coming up in the Bible. I've read it in a couple of groups, and so I feel like I, I need to bring it up here again. There's a story in John. Uh, it's John chapter 5. You can go read it uh, later if you're not familiar with it. The healing at the pool is what it's titled. And so it, it jumps into this guy that it says he's been invalid for 38 years. And Jesus comes to him and asks, hey, do you want to get well? And that, I mean, that right there sums up me. I mean, I hate to think of myself as being invalid, but I'm about to be 38 years old next weekend. I can relate to that just one statement from the Bible so well that spiritually I've been invalid for going on 38 years. And it took a really good friend. It took a great pastor. It took a lot of good people around me to help mold this thing that I'm still working on. Um, but I would call it a vision of, of being different. I, I just craved, internally I craved to be different. Even though externally everything looked wonderful, internally I needed something to help me be different. So I want to close with a, just a, uh, a little bit of this song. This is my favorite song right now. It's from Micah Tyler. Uh, it's called Different. and the, the Yellowstone, remember that? Sorry if you're new here. Um, but, you know, one introduction of these wolves, what did it do? It changed the course of the riverbed, which was, you know, this stunning, you know, cascading effect. And just one conversation, you know, has changed Brandon's life, Brandon's kids, Brandon's work at the school, all these other kinds of things. So, it's really just trying to say, can, can we do some small things that will have this big cascading effect? And then Brandon says, okay, what's my, what's my uh, I love the, uh, the beavers, the eco engineers. Remember, they, they have a little niche that they say, well, because I can live here now, I can change a small piece of this environment. And that's essentially what Brandon's doing, both in his family and, and at, uh, at school. I'm just going to do a small piece 
But think about 10 guys getting together and thinking about Christian leadership. Well, 12 guys got together 2,000 years ago and thought about Christian leadership. You know, and here we are. So you see how that works? I mean, we, we live in a how big, how great, how flashy kind of world. But I think Jesus came to, at a particular time. Like, why didn't he come today? Because we could have it all over the Internet, and it could be. And I think he's trying to say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm different than that. And what he did, almost everybody can do in some form or fashion. So thank you, Brandon. Well, we're, here we are. We're at this point of transition, and I'm going to kind of pause here. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9 is a transition point. And so, just as a way of reminding, and especially if you're new uh, this morning, Nehemiah is this guy whose uh, his family has been captured from Jerusalem and exported uh, or deported to Babylon. And so, his, his family, his ethnicity, the Jewish people, they're slaves in Babylon. And his role is he's a cupbearer to the king which is a pretty important role and has a lot, he's built a lot of trust between him he and the king. Um, and so what's happened is some people have come back from his hometown, which by the way, he never actually lived in because we're, we're 150 years removed now. But that's where his family's from. That's his identity. And somebody comes back and says, hey, the walls are broken down. The people are living in disarray. And man, it's terrible back home. And that moves Nehemiah. That, that starts stirring up a vision. Something has caught a hold of his soul, and he just can't let go of it. And you've had that experience. You just go, I, I've got to do something. I've got to get involved. And we've called that the, uh, the Popeye moment. You know, I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more, you know. Uh, he, he sees something and somehow he's going to be a part of the change. It's not like, wow, that's terrible, and somebody ought to do something. A lot of us have those experiences. But this is, no, I'm the somebody. I've got to insert myself in, in trying to be a part of the change. And so for the first chapter and a half, really we've just been talking about this in, uh, internal life, building this interior life. So he was moved by it, and the first thing he did, really like Brandon said so well, is I paused, I prayed, I planned, I thought about this stuff. I didn't just say, I see a problem, and boom, I'm in it. It's, what, what role do you want me to have? Because I don't I mean, he doesn't know at the very beginning he's going to build the wall. Who knows? But he's working on this interior life. He's getting square with God to say, God, I don't want to make this about me. I want to make it about you. So it's got to be what you want. It's got to be in your timing. And so he moves in that direction. And so he's caught this vision. Uh, something has to change. He's worked on his interior life. And then it, last week, he courageously stepped forward, if you remember, talking to the king. So he finally gets this audience with the king and very bravely says, hey, king, I need a leave of absence, and I need a lot of your resources. Well, for a guy who's a slave... To try to say that to the king, that's, you know, that might cost you your life, certainly would cost you your job. So at some point for all of us, there's going to be that moment of courage to have to say, I, gotta, I, I mean, I'm, I'm driven to say something and I've got to step forward and make this statement at this particular time. And so that was a helpful thing. We can't repeat that. 
Uh, and one of the things that's always been interesting to me about the Bible, and it comes up here in Nehemiah, is the, one of the most powerful people on the planet in 450 B.C., which is this time, is King Artaxerxes. So if you think, who's one of the most powerful people on the planet today? Well, it's going to be the President of the United States. So whoever that is, <coughs> he's going to be in the mix. Well, back then, it's King Artaxerxes. But who does God remember? A slave who built a wall. So there's, there's, an, there's an economy with God that's not the same as our economy. In other words, if 500 years from now we look back to today and say, well, yeah, Donald Trump was a president, but the real big deal was the Secret Service agent next to him that you don't currently know and know his name. So God has just a totally different economy, and especially for men who tend to live in a world of bigger is better and all that kind of stuff and kind of impact, and I'm, how many people do, you know, do I influence, and how many friends do I have, and how many is following me, all that sort of, that's all just noise from the world. That's not necessarily means anything in God's economy. There's a great book called The Great Divorce, which you should read at some point, and it's a, it's a fictional book about uh, C.S. Lewis, the writer, going from purgatory, basically, to heaven. And uh, so he meets all these different people, and the stories are just about the people he meets. And this one person from heaven comes, and they're giant. They have like a parade of people around them. And he says to his guide, he says, now who's this person? They must be really important. And the, 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 the guide says to C.S. Lewis, yeah, on earth you wouldn't have remembered this person. And it, it was a way of him to say, up here, what you think is valuable is it reversed down on earth. This is the kind of person no one would know about on earth, but up here in God's economy, it's a totally different way. So you may think, hey, I'm just kind of in a small place. I don't have a big impact. But just doing one thing can be a huge huge thing. And so very, very interesting. So Nehemiah now makes the 500 plus mile walk, imagine that, back to Jerusalem. This is now Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 9. So now he's going to start working. He's going to get to work. He's going to start building this wall and we're going to basically get a, a, you know, an MBA in leadership as we move through the next part of these uh, chapters. But I want to press pause here and just spend a few minutes this morning and I think next week just talking about work. Because it's pretty easy for a pastor to talk about the interior life. You know, you should pray, you should, you should do this. But, but now let's just talk about work, what you do at work. Nehemiah is just going to become a foreman or an engineer, whatever, however you might say it. He's going to go to work, he's going to build a wall. That's what he's going to do. And so I want to spend a few minutes just talking about work. And this quote from a guy who wrote a book called Your Work Matters to God, he says this. He was a fighter pilot. When the chaplain entered the flight room, the atmosphere changed. He seemed out of place. His issues, interests, they seemed distant. He had a different set of heroes, usually people who left the military and became ministers and missionaries. When he left, I felt a chasm between my faith and my work. And I wonder if you feel that chasm. I often ask myself whether flying a jet even mattered to God. You hear that? You feel that tension? 
So the chaplain comes in, and you think, he's in a slight, like a different atmosphere than I am, and he's saying things that have eternal value, and I leave thinking, does flying a jet matter? I mean, why am I flying a jet? Is that even important? And then he says, if 50% or more of your life, the, the amount of life you work, doesn't count to God, then you don't count to God. If your work has no value, then you have no value. Or at best, you're a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. So the first-class citizen is the minister or missionary, and then I'm just kind of a worker. I fly a jet or whatever I do, and that's nice, and don't wreck it or anything, but, I mean, it's not, like, really valuable. It's the second tier. And I just wonder if you feel that sense of, well, okay, God has an economy, so it must be the ministries and missionaries that are like in the, the, the varsity, and then we got, we got a bunch of JV businessmen doing stuff. So have you ever wondered whether your, your work matters to God? That's the question I'm trying to stir up. So uh, does my work have lasting value? Or... I live two lives. I have a work life and a home life. I have a work life and a church life. I have a sacred life. I have a secular life. And when I go through my, my sort of secular work, I don't really think about God. Is that how you move through your life? Or I maintain two ethical systems. I have a work ethic system. I have a private system of ethics. Or I'm bored at work, so my work seems purposeless. I'm just not sure if my work matters to God. So I want to discuss and then have you discuss this, three wrong or incomplete views of work. So I'm going to discuss each one of them, and then you'll, you'll sit, spend time talking about them. And then next week, we'll talk about a biblical view of work. So here are three, I would say, wrong or incomplete views of work. One is a secular view. So success in my work is success in life. So I just have a secular view. What, what is success is I, I, I built a company, I made so much money, I, whatever that is, that's your view of work. And, and the career is at the center stage, and words like winning or advancing or achievement, those are words that mean something to you. And if you think about the word significance, oh, he's significant. They're doing something significant. What's the first four letters of that word. It's another word. What is it? Sign. So if you think of your work as significance and it's a sign, well, what does that point to? What does your work point to? Does it point to God? Does it point to you? I'm significant because I got a big position or I got a big title. So if your work has significance, then it's a sign and it points somewhere. And my question is just where does it point in your mind? Does it point to you? Does it point to God? Does it point to something else? See, a secular view is just, it, it points back to me. I'm trying to be successful. And here are some frequent thoughts if you have just a secular view of work. And probably most of us don't just have this view uh, coldly. Do others think I'm a success? Do I think I'm a success? See, these are words as you go through your life as a businessman, you're thinking, am I successful? Do other people think I'm successful? Are people getting ahead of me? I, I categorize people by importance by what they do for work. So I meet five guys here today in a group, and 
What do you do for work? What do you do? And then I just immediately go to categories. You're in the top tier category. You're the second. If you do this, if you, these are the kinds of thoughts you have, then you have mostly a secular view of work. And I would say that's a, that's a wrong view. It's at least incomplete. Second type of wrong or incomplete. So my question would be, so what's some, what's some weaknesses with a secular view of work? So you don't answer that now. You're going to answer it. What, what, what would you say? What are some weaknesses of that? The two-story view. A lot of us would have this. This is the common missionary story that you might hear at church. And somebody says, well, I was running this business, and I was doing fine. Uh, but I heard this sermon about things of eternal value and, and the, the word of God and souls of men has to have eternal value. And then I read a Bible verse like John 6, 27, do not work for food that spoils but food that endures to eternal life. So I quit my secular work and started doing real valuable sacred work. That could, that could be a common testimony. So I'm not saying this is a great view. I'm saying this is, is incomplete or wrong, but this is how it, it's a two-story view. It's, it's, there's a distinguishing between a secular and the sacred. There's a distinguishing between work that really matters to God and second tier kind of work. That's ah, nice, but it's not, in the, it's not in the varsity level of work. For a Christian businessman, you might say, it might sound like this. I run a successful business in order to make money so I can support God's work in my church in the city around the world. So I'm, ju I'm just like a money-making machine. In other words, really my work doesn't matter that much except that it generates a lot of money and then it goes to work that matters. Now, what would be a problem with that? What would be a weakness in that kind of thinking? Most of you have heard of the story, Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell, the Olympic runner, 1924, I believe. He was the guy who uh, had a conviction that he can't work on Sundays. And so it turns out that his best, you know, uh, event in the Olympics is from England or Scotland. Um, he couldn't, you know, it was on Sunday, so he couldn't do that. And the next day, there was another event that he was good at, but that wasn't his best event. He actually turned out, he set a world record in this event. But he was from China. His parents were missionaries. And he wanted to go back to China. And his sister particularly wanted to go back to China. And she has a two-storied view of work. And it's very helpful just to watch it here uh, as, as they have this little conversation. Training, training, all I ever hear is training. Do you believe in what we're doing here or not? Jenny, I'm sorry. I was late. I apologize. That's all very well, Eric. I said I was sorry. To me. It's not me you've insulted. How oh, we are bother? The Lord will not feel slighted at the missing of our bus. Yes, Eric, you missed the bus, but why? Your mind's not with us anymore, son. It's full of running and starting and medals and pace. Your head's so full of running, no room for standing still. Jenny, Jenny, Jenny. Fright yourself. I do fret myself, Eric. I'm frightened for you. I'm frightened for what it all might do to you.
Mr. Little. Would you sign your name, please? Surely. And pick yourself a pen. Sad to leave it. I've decided. I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm so pleased. So I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. See, is it okay that God gave you particular skills that just when you use that skill, it gives God pleasure? Is that okay? See, for the, the sister, that's not okay. There's only one thing she, he can do, that's go to China. And she doesn't get that he has certain skills that he's been designed by God, and just when he uses those skills, even if it's for no other end of purpose, that actually brings God pleasure. Or is it, no, it has to have an end. It has to have to have a mission end. It has to have a, some other kind of end. So is it possible? Or is it just a two-story view? There's the sacred and the secular. In her, in her view, the, se the secular is just this running thing. And it really doesn't have any value. There's only one thing you can do that has value. So that's the two-storied view. One last uh, view is the uh, work as a pulpit. So Christian participation in work is primarily to set up strategic opportunities for evangelism. So go into all the world and make disciples. Okay, well, everybody has a different way to do that. You know, some people go to, to China and some people, you know, go to the business world. And there's lost people in the business world. So it's just work as a pulpit. I'm going there and I'm using my work in order to have a conversation about Christ. And that's what work is for. It just sets up these conversations. 
So, so you might redefine your job description this way, that you're not really a doctor or a teacher or a salesman, rather you're an evangelist in the field of medicine, education, or marketing. See how that gets turned around? Is that okay that that's all work is? Certainly it's okay that you do evangelism in your work, that you meet somebody and you tell them about Jesus. But is it okay that that's the only purpose of work? Is just to set those things up. What would be a weakness of that kind of view? So, questions. What are the weaknesses or incomplete? Why, why are these views incomplete? Secular, two-storied, or work as a pulpit? Is it possible that God's designed you with a particular skill that when you use it, it brings God pleasure? Is that possible? And have you ever wondered, does your work matter to God? Man, I, I work eight to ten hours a day. I sleep for eight hours, so I got half my working, well, half my awake life doing something that I don't know. Does it even really matter? I spent forty years in a company, and now I retired, and I don't know. Maybe I just wasted most of my life. You ever had those kinds of feelings? How do you how do you deal with that? All right, so you got we got a little less time here, but I'm going to give you about ten minutes. So get in a group of three or so, and we'll have a discussion about these uh, questions. Ready? Break.